Welcome to 2024, and as we begin this new year, uh, I thought it would be good to go to God's Word, to the book of Romans, that speaks into a culture that has drifted away from what God intended it to be. Paul was eager and ready to preach the gospel, and so he did that to the Roman people, but in the midst of it all, he gave them some warnings of what happens in a culture when it moves away from God, how it takes a downward spiral along that path until eventually God has no choice but to bring judgment. I believe the book of Romans speaks to us today. So I hope you'll enjoy it as we dig in with these podcasts. Turn to Romans chapter one. Uh, Years ago, uh, I read uh, a book written by Charles Swindoll. In that book, he recounted a story that happened to him as a child, as a middle schooler. Back in the day, we used to call it junior high. So he was a middle schooler, and every summer his family went down to the beach in Texas uh, where his grandfather had a little house down there, and they spent a lot of time. Uh, he spent a lot of time in the water, a lot of time on the beach. And he talked about one year during his, uh, one time during his seventh grade, eighth grade year, they had been studying about erosion. We studied about erosion, and erosion in Kentucky means it washes rocks away mostly, but uh, we studied about erosion, the loss of soil. But this was about beach erosion, and so they talked about how that erosion happens gradually over time. And so he did a little experiment. He took a stake, according to what he wrote, he took a, a, a stick, a stake, and drove it in the ground and measured off so many feet to the beach and left it at the end of the summer. And the next year, they go back down to vacation again on the beach. And so sure enough, the, the stake was still in the ground, even as Chuck Swindoll had driven it into the ground. And he got a tape measure and he measured off. And sure enough, there had been beach erosion. So however much it had crept closer to the stake, indicating that grains of sand had washed away. Uh, Chances are you don't notice these things that happen as they happen. A grain of sand here, a grain of sand there, a little bit of a a loss at some point, but you don't notice it as it's happening because it happens very slowly, very gradually. Then he also told that one day when he was on a college campus, a big beautiful oak tree out in the middle of that, that campus, the wind came through, and not that much of a wind, but it broke this oak tree over. And when they went to look at it, this huge oak tree that had all the greenery hanging on it, all the leaves were still on it, everything looked to be healthy and alive from the outside, but on the inside, it was cankered and dead. You couldn't tell by looking at it. From the outside, everything looked fine, but all the time while they've been enjoying the shade of this wonderful tree, on the inside, the tree was dying. When we come to Romans chapter 1, Paul is lifting up the name of Jesus in the verses we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, and he's saying that we ought not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. And then it's almost like we step off the edge of a cliff. He's writing to a group of people living in his day, living in Rome, Rome which is the capital of the whole world, and they're followers of Jesus Christ now as he's writing to them, but he's beginning to describe to them what is going on in the culture that is around them. I want to read this very slowly, not because you can't listen quickly, 
but because of the weight that is in these words. And I'm reading out the King James Version. This morning I sat down at home and read it out of the English Standard Version. The, the words are, are virtually the same. One might be a little bit easier to read than the other, and I may stop along the way, but just, just bear with me. And as much as anything that I can say about erosion or death on the inside, this text says it all. This text is a sermon in itself. And he says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold, the word may, may ought to be oppose, push back, contrary, stubborn. It carries that idea. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They don't want to hear the truth. They push back against the truth. Stubbornly, they barred the doors of their heart. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Do you understand this morning? that there is not one person on this planet that has a good excuse as to why they don't turn to God, as to why they don't desire God, as to why they don't want to know God. They are without excuse. It begins right here in these verses and on into chapter 2. It's almost like it's bracketed together. Here's a group of people without excuse. Here's a group of people that are inexcusable, old man. Because God does something in our lives. God puts his, we have a conscience. God has created us with a conscience. Even in our own hearts, there is a knowledge that wells up. And we're without excuse. Because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart got darker and darker and darker professing themselves to be wise, they look like morons. They became fools. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, even their women did change the natural use into that which is unnatural against nature. And likewise, also the men, setting aside their natural desire, the natural use of a woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men doing with men that which is not right, men with men working that which is unseemly, and 
receiving in themselves a payment, a recompense of the error which was deserved. And even as they did not like to attain, retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And then he gives a list, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, deceitful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but they have a parade. They celebrate. They take pleasure. They honor those that do them. And then chapter 2, verse 1, therefore, you are inexcusable. This past week, Betty and I went to Kentucky. My sister's 60th birthday. And so you go in to give your siblings as hard a time as they have given you through the years. And I'd have to make a lot of trips to ever bother my sister as much as she's tried to bother me through the years. So we went to celebrate my sister's 60th birthday. And on Thursday, which was her birthday, we went to the Ark on, uh, at Williamstown, Kentucky, uh, built by Answers in Genesis. And so we went up, by the way, they built that thing just about a mile from where Betty and I lived the first three years we were married. We, did not ne we never knew that Noah had landed within a mile of us. <laughs> so we went to the ark, and uh, there is a display that says, the world before the flood. Now, I don't know what you believe about all this. I can tell you what is right. What is right is exactly what the Bible says, okay? So, whatever you believe, that's what's right. But there's a world before the flood, and there was a world before the flood. And by the way, there was a great flood, and it, did, it was not a local flood. It was not the flood of 93. It covered everything that was on this earth. Because God had reached a point where he says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. I've gone as far as I can go, can't go any further. So there's this display of the world before the flood. We begin to make our way through there, and it describes the people that were on the earth at that time. It describes the sons of Adam and those that are followed that are mentioned in the first five chapters of Genesis. And then Genesis chapter 6, where God begins to say, these are the, these are the grievances. Here's a list of grievances I have with this world. And so I'm walking through there, it begins, and, and the images that are there, and the celebrations, and the sacrifices, and how mankind had turned so much away from God. You know what I thought of? I thought, I am watching, now, now get this, folks, I'm not watching what I see on television today. I'm watching the video games, they still call them video games, the phone games, uh, the uh, computer games of all the demons and all the devils and all the sacrifices and all the warlike creatures and all the sacrifices to a God that indicates a man and that mankind has descended into such a depth at the bottom of what I'm calling a downward spiral. And I just thought as I'm looking at 
what was depicted as being before the flood, it's the very same thing I'm seeing in our world today that is being celebrated, by the way. Hello, this is Monty Schenkel, and we sure appreciate you listening to this podcast. This is a new effort on our part from Take Heart Ministry. A little over a year ago, we began Take Heart Ministry with the intention of telling people by means of radio and also the internet and now by podcasts that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. If you'd like to know more about us, if you'd like to check our ministry out, you can go to takeheart.org. If you would like to personally contact me, you can write to Monty Schinkel or you can write to mschinkel at takeheart.org. Thank you for listening, and now back to the podcast. They late Dr. Austin Sorensen preached a sermon in 1994, called it Sitting at the Deathbed of America. I wonder what he would preach 23 years later. He described our nation as being under hospice care and the sound it was making as death rattles. He quoted from Larry Burkett's book, The Illuminati, that says words like these, so many things have happened in such a short period of time. I guess none of us really believed anything like this could ever happen, certainly not here in America. Nobody ever really believed that it can happen to them. We became so attached to our things that we didn't notice or didn't care when we gave up our freedom to keep those things. We kill our unborn because they're an economic inconvenience. Our kids take drugs so they won't have to face the realities of life without purpose. Our politicians care more about getting elected than they do about our country. And worst of all, God's people care more about maintaining their lifestyle than they do about reaching the world for Christ. In my lifetime, we stopped reading the Bible in our public schools because the Supreme Court said separation church and state. We stopped beginning our days with saying the Lord's Prayer in our public schools. We lost our stay-at-home moms, for the most part, in my lifetime. We've seen a rapid rise in the divorce rate. We've experienced abortion on demand. We've lost discipline in our homes. We've removed corporal punishment from our schools. We've set aside the Judeo-Christian ethic as a standard. We've seen the rise of cable television, followed by satellite television, followed by the internet. We've seen the rapid rise of violent video games. We've experienced in our society an epidemic of pornography, a rise of the proactive judicial system, a reinterpretation of the constitution of our country with the belief that it's not a fixed document but a living, shifting, changing document that must change with the times. It, need, it the constitution, needs to shake the hayseeds out of its hair and come alive with everybody else. We've seen government control of our public schools, not local control. We've seen the reclassification of homosexuality as normal behavior and certainly not sin. We've had the redefinition of a family. We've seen our government control the free market economy that had been a stable part of our society. The government control of health care. 
The increase of governmental knowledge of everybody's activity, the exchange of freedom for security, the redefinition of marriage and transgender rights and control of free speech is just around the corner. We are in a downward spiral. It has happened incredibly fast. It has happened on my watch while I've been in the pulpit preaching. I've, been, I've seen these things come to pass. And I look at this passage of Scripture, and I think, yes, it did. It does describe the world before the flood. And Jesus said, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the day of the coming of the Son of Man. It does describe the world as it was in Lot's day, in Sodom and Gomorrah, in Abraham's day. And Jesus says, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. But beyond all of that, folks, it is. These verses, verses 18 through 32, are a very accurate pinpoint description of where we are as an a, I would say, an uncivilized society today. Change all the definitions, turn everything upside down, but let me give you five things. Number one, they discounted the wrath of God. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness to men who stubbornly hold up against the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has showed it unto them. But they have said this, they have said that God, the God of heaven, certainly cannot be a God of wrath. The only God that there could possibly be is a loving God, kind God, patient God, long-suffering God, but not a God of wrath. The God the world wants to embrace is more like a gentle grandfather or a sovereign Santa, but not a God of wrath. The first thing a society like ours does is do away with doctrines like judgment and justice and divine eternal punishment. And even with a casual reading of the Word of God, even if you casually read the Bible, you realize that wrath is an attribute of God. We don't like to talk about it, but we also know this, that God's wrath is revealed. It is revealed in two ways. It is revealed through his personal intervention, and it's revealed through his establishment of moral order. This is what I mean by that. You say, well, if God is such a God of wrath, then why doesn't he just do something? Why didn't he just show up? Sir, ma'am, you are ignorant. I'm not saying you're dumb. I'm just saying you're ignorant that the truth is that God has revealed himself that way in the history of mankind. There have been times when God has said, enough already. Whether we're talking about in the days of Noah when judgment came, or the Tower of Babel when they said, we're going to make ourselves God, we're going to reach all the way up. Never going to happen again like it did then. God's wrath was poured out upon Sodom and Gomorrah. God's wrath was poured out upon Pharaoh in Egypt. God's wrath was poured out upon the army of Sennacherib. God's wrath was poured out upon Nebuchadnezzar so that he lost his mind. God's wrath was poured out upon Belshazzar. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. It is as if a dam broke and God's wrath was poured out in the New Testament. God's wrath was poured out upon a king that was eaten with worms. 
His wrath was poured out upon Ananias and Sapphira who lied to him. But think about this. Where was God's wrath most clearly poured out? Poured out upon his son who died on the cross, taking all of our wrath upon himself so that you and I would never have to suffer the wrath of God. Jesus Christ, we call this the substitutionary atonement. Jesus Christ atoned for us, took our sins upon himself, and the wrath of God was revealed upon him as he died on the cross, crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, on an everyday basis, God's wrath is poured out through moral order, just the, what, just the things he said, I will bless, and the things he said, I will curse. Dr. John MacArthur wrote, he said, Heaven reveals God's wrath in two ways, through his moral order, through his personal intervention. When God made the world, he built in certain morals as well as physical laws that have since governed the operation. Just as a person falls to the ground when he jumps from a high building, so does he fall into God's judgment when he deviates from God's moral law. That is built-in wrath. When a, when a person sins, there is a built-in consequence that inexorably works. In this sense, God is not specifically intervening, but is letting the law of moral cause and effect work. The wages of sin is death. You live your whole life in sin. God's moral order says judgment day is coming. Oh, hear me, folks. There is good news in the midst of bad news because in Romans chapter 1, God's Word tells us, for we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. Are you a believer? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Then you need to know that your, your sins have been dealt with. They've been covered by the blood of Jesus. The wrath of God has been poured out upon His Son, and so you are saved. That's what happened in your life. The historian J. Frode Wright wrote, uh, uh, one lesson and only one. History may be said to repeat with distinctness that the world is built somehow on moral foundations that in the long run it is well with the good, in the long run it is ill with the wicked. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse recounts the story of a group of godly farmers in a Midwest community being irritated one Sunday morning by neighbors plowing his field right next to the church. Noise from the tractor interrupted the worship service. And as it turned out, the man had purposefully chosen to plow that particular field on Sunday morning in order to make a point. He wrote a letter to the editor of the local paper asserting that although he did not respect the Lord or honor the Lord's day, he had the highest yield per acre of any farm in the county. He asked the editor how Christians could explain that. With considerable insight and wisdom, the editor printed the letter and followed it with a simple comment. God does not settle all his accounts in the month of October. The loss of reverence for God and the fear of God is the first step down a road to uncivilized civilization when we lose our respect for God. We discount the wrath of God. Secondly, we dishonor the person of God. 
The Bible says in verses 19 through 21, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, their foolish heart was darkened. They knew God, they glorified him not as God, do you realize there was a time when every person on this earth knew God? There was a man, there was a woman, and they both knew God. Now, evolutionists will tell you that the idea of, of monotheism, of, of moving toward a, a belief in one God, that that's not where we started. That as man has evolved, we have come up from whatever kind of primordial cesspool we came out of. And so we've come up out of this thing, and as we've gotten smarter and smarter and smarter, we have turned away from worshiping nature and animals and trees, and then we made a whole bunch of gods, and eventually, you know, in the evolutionary process, we wound up with just one god worshiping one god. They would even tell you today that everybody worships the same god. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not true. That is a lie. We started out worshiping one God. When you read God's Word, you're going to find that what, what mankind says happened, actually the reverse is what has happened. We start out worshiping one God, but then we began to move toward a multitude of gods. And then even God's Word says we began to take the rock that we have on our farm and take a, a hammer that somebody made somewhere and a chisel that somebody made somewhere, and then we hammer out our God. Or we might take a piece of wood, the very same wood you'd throw in the fire to keep yourself warm. You bow down and worship. Now, folks, does that make any sense at all? But that's what's happened. We've dishonored the person of God. We've dishonored the person of God. Theologian Augustus Strong wrote, the Scripture both assume and declare that the knowledge that God is, is universal. God has inlaid the, the evidence of that fundamental truth in the very nature of man, so that nowhere is he without a witness. Everywhere you turn, there is witness of God in your own conscience. A person says, but I am an atheist. Look deep. Look deep. A disease left Helen Keller as a very young girl without sight, hearing, speech. Through Ann Sullivan's tireless and selfless efforts, Helen finally learned to communicate through touch and even learned to talk. When Miss Sullivan first tried to tell Helen about God, the girl's response was that she already knew about him. She said, I just didn't know his name. What about a society that has all the blessings and all the evidence and all of these things, and yet God's Word says we stopped honoring God, we became unthankful, we became struck with our own greatness, spiritual light went out. Which brings me to the third thing. We distort the truth of God. Suddenly man becomes know-it-alls. Verse 22 says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own 
bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Suddenly man became know-it-alls. They professed themselves wise, but they become fools. They changed the incorruptible God into an image made by man. Again, Donald Barnhouse writes, will God give man brains to see these things? And will man then fail to exercise his will toward that God? The sorrowful answer is that both of these things are true. God will give a man brains to smelt iron, to make a hammer, a head, and nails. God will grow a tree, give man strength to cut it down, and brains to fashion a hammer, handle from its wood. And when man has the hammer and the nails, God will put out his hand and let man drive nails through it and place him on a cross in the supreme demonstration that men are without excuse. Let me finish out your outline because I'm going to quit. Number four, the Bible says they disregarded the design of God. This morning, I was looking through the paper and just in some of the national notes, I noticed that yesterday, there, the, the headline in one of the little national things pieces said that there was a huge multitude of people that marched in Raleigh, North Carolina yesterday on what they called the Moral March on Raleigh. You know, 40 years ago, Dr. Jerry Falwell had what he called a moral majority. But things have changed in 40 years because the moral march on Raleigh was LGBTQ, transgender. This is where free speech is going to come into play at some point. The freedom of standing on Scripture is going to come into play because there's going to come a day, mark my words, where what I am about to say is going to be illegal to say in this country, even from the pulpits. In fact, I don't even have to say it this morning. Let me just read it to you. Verse 26, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their, even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the man, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. This is what God's Word says. As a society, we are disregarding the design of God. Verse 26, even their women. You know, I grew up around boys that cussed. Not in my home. You, you get your face smacked fast. You get your rear end warmed up in a hurry. Or you get your mouth washed out. I mean, there are probably some of you here today could could tell what the flavor of soap it would be. Which one? Is this lava? Is this dove? What is it? Is this ivory? What is this? Because you've been there. But when we heard a girl cuss, that's like the, what? She cussed like a sailor. Now this passage says, even their women. It's like, you might expect the men to go nuts, but the women? I mean, 
The mothers are to be a picture of that which is virtue and good. I mean, have you not read Proverbs 31? But now he's saying even they're women. And Dr. John MacArthur writes, he said, in most cultures, women have been more reluctant than men to become involved either in sexual promiscuity or homosexuality. Perhaps Paul mentions women first because their practice of homosexuality is especially shocking and dismaying. They have disregarded God's natural order only to do this, to discover that they are abandoned by God. That's my final point. They discover they're abandoned by God three different times in this passage of Scripture. It says in verse 24, God gave them up. Then it says in verse 26, God gave them up. And then it says in verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And then we will stand and sing, God bless America. Now, here's the good news. Aren't you glad there's some good news? Because every one of us had a life before Christ, and there was a point when we came to Christ, and we have a life after Christ, and we know one thing. At that moment when we embraced the cross of Christ, our life was radically changed. In chapter 2, it says, Or despisest thou the goodness and long-suffering of God, the forbearance and long-suffering of God, not an understanding that it's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. I must tell you this morning, and I want to tell you today, that there's forgiveness in Jesus, that he is a good God. And, so, and, and it's always, and, and even this morning, when I, before I'm coming to church, I'm saying, Lord, i got to preach this sermon. It is in here. It's there. You can't walk around it. You cannot walk around this passage of Scripture. It is where we are as a society. I'm firmly convinced of that. But I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the deliverer of such bad news. But if we don't comprehend the bad news, folks, we're never going to get to the good news. And the bad news, yes, sin and judgment and God's wrath. But the good news is that God sent his son to be our savior, that whosoever will believe in him will turn away, that they can come to the savior. And that's what he's inviting you to this morning. Some of you here are liars. He's inviting you to come to the savior. Has there ever been a person in this building? You say, I've never told a lie in my life. If you would raise your hand, we will know that you are a liar because you are. And so would there be one here today that say, I've never been caught up in lust? Would there be one that would say that unless it's a little bitty child that doesn't know anything about it? No, we know that. You can just go right on down the list. And I really am going to quit here in a minute. You can just go right on down the list. And, every, and you say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm out here and I, there's no way I could ever be accepted. And you are accepted in the beloved. What you used to be is one thing. What you are in God's grace is another thing. Oh, if this crazy world could just understand it, that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And people say, well, how can you say, when God puts something like that in the Bible, how can you say he's such a good God? Look to the cross, folks. All of those things were nailed to Jesus that we might have eternal life. Look to the cross. That's where salvation is. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. We appreciate you tuning in. We pray that this has been a blessing to you. And I pray that today you in your own heart can take heart because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. 
And Jesus came to be the Savior of all who would call upon him. And if today you've never trusted in him, I encourage you to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive me and save me. And God's word says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our purpose in all of this is to encourage you to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and to take heart in Jesus. He cares for you.